change isn't easy and change is oversold the world over by gurus who proclaim to have the answers to everything. And I'm certainly would never proclaim to be one of those. But change is possible. And the only person you can ever change is yourself. Change starts on the inside. And as you said, Maria, so well, it's about the small things, the small little 1% wins. And it's all about starting. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being. The why and the how of health enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my self-development club. To learn more and to sign up, visit drmarkrow.com. Good morning, Maria. I think depression must be one of the worst things to get that weight on your shoulder and people mm. are telling you like, sure, you'd be like, what have you got to be depressed about? And, you know, sure, just mind yourself and you'll be grand and you get over it. But to not have that understanding, even within yourself about what the problem is. Well, I think, Maria, you know, depression is a very, very common condition. It probably affects at least one in every 20 adults in Ireland. And sometimes it can have devastating consequences if it leads on to somebody ending their life. And that's why it's really, really important to have conversations like this about mood disorders, about depression, and for people to realise there really should be no stigma now in 2022 about this very common uh, mood disorder, that there's so much help and treatment available. I know we're going to go on and talk about it, but, but really it does start with that word talking and understand that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in your head, there's always somebody you can talk to. And a problem shared really is a problem halved. And this is particularly important for men because we are, you know, we are wired differently to women. And for many men, we find it very hard to talk about how we feel. We feel that it in some way it conjures up images of perhaps feeling inadequate or weak or, or whatever. Maybe it's the bulletproof hunter-gatherer male, who, who knows, whatever it is, or learned behaviour maybe from previous generations. But even young people now, and I say, we see it as doctors all the time, haven't generally become more evolved than maybe their grandparents. So it, it is a male issue as well, particularly, though not exclusively, obviously, to men not being able to talk. So being able to talk about how you feel, not suppressing stress, because we live in a world right now, Maria, where there is so much toxic stress. I mean, a lot of people are struggling right now, the cost of living. There's a lot of things going on in the world. There's, you know, there's a lot of noise and a lot of real issues for people mm. uh, to be concerned about. And a lot of people are suffering from stress and, and chronic stress without recharging from stress, without learning the lifestyle skills and habits to be good to yourself and those people around you. 
um, can lead to that stress building up and that can be like a pressure valve situation and that can really have a negative effect on our You on can our be brain stressed for so long that you forget what it's what you should be like, can't you? Stress in itself is neither good nor bad and, and it really it's our way of dealing with urgent emergency situations uh, so it can be life-saving, you know, and that's what the stress reaction really is. It's fight or flight. Um, but that chronic low-grade stress, that chronic burn, depletes your willpower, makes you feel more tired, makes you feel more irritable, um, accelerates aging. Uh, you know, it, it um, can have a lowering impact on your mood and your motivation and your mojo and your, your sense of well-being. You're absolutely right. When you're in the middle of that, you may not even appreciate just how stressed you are. And it can just build up, you know, the late night emails, mm-hmm. the lack of sleep, the chronic worry about whether it's finances or there's a relationship issue or a work issue or whatever it is, carrying that burden on your shoulders alone is never good. And I think sometimes if you've got something concrete to deal with, it's less stressful than the worry about what if, what if, suppose I don't get, suppose I lose my job and like catastrophizing everything that Mm. maybe the things that haven't happened yet can make it even worse than having to deal with the concrete problem right in the now. And I, I talk about this idea of, you know, a circle of control and a circle of concern. And obviously, we'll always have things to be concerned about. But by spending a lot of our energy and awareness and, and attention in, out in that circle of concern, these are things we can't change or maybe even influence at all. But it just depletes us of bra- valuable brain energy and makes the stress and the rumination and, as I said, the merry-go-mind of anxious negative thoughts. It just wheels on and grinds on. So the more you can get back into your circle of control, into those things that you can actually influence your self-care habits for today, the relationships you're going to cultivate and strengthen, people you're going to talk to, maybe some exercise and movement that you're going to take, uh, some health-enhancing habits you're going to live by. These small little things, even at a very simple level, the next breath you take, I mean, that's the essence of, of mindfulness, is really to really focus on the next breath and let life evolve moment by moment. Nobody can be completely mindful all the time, but spending more of your time and energy in that circle of control can really be helpful. How do doctors diagnose depression? Well, depression has, there's a whole range of types of depression, but but generally you're looking at a symptom complex that lasts for at least two weeks. And that's really important to say, Maria, because, you know, everybody experiences sad days. Everybody has challenging times. And, you know, negative emotion is part and parcel of the human experience. So it's it's a persistently low mood that lasts for at least two weeks. And often there's a constellation of symptoms which may include some or all of the following. Lack of motivation, um, sleep disturbance, perhaps difficulty getting to sleep or staying asleep, waking up frequently during the night, or what's called early morning wakening, waking at four or five in the morning, not being able to get back to sleep again, feeling really tired. Maybe a change in your appetite, either weight gain or even sometimes weight loss, loss of interest in usual activities, you know, loss of your mojo, loss of life satisfaction um, in, in relationships, people losing interest in, in, in sexual activity. Uh, and in more sort of, I suppose, in more severe cases, uh, maybe profound feelings of guilt, 
or feeling hopeless or helpless or, or worthless about the situation then of course sometimes people may have uh, you know what I call black thoughts or, or, or suicidal thoughts or passive death wishes which of course and that's like mm-hmm. a sort of as I say a heart attack for the brain if somebody has those types of thoughts that's very very serious and they should obviously seek immediate medical attention and I presume sometimes events around you kind mm-hmm. of reinforce that because not because of anything to do with you but because other people have their own issues and they might be short with you and you think they're short with me because they they think I'm worthless and they think I'm useless and it reinforces those negative feelings about yourself. Yes, I would agree. I think when somebody has a low mood, they're more emotionally fragile and they're more susceptible maybe to you know, comments from other people yeah, and so on. I think on. everything is their fault. Exactly. In mm. other words, overgeneralizing. And, that, and I think that is one of the things with depression is that whether it's the, the biochemical makeup and or the kind of the structural uh, anatomy of the brain kind of temporarily changes. So you're more hardwired for stress. You're less able to sort of, let's say, think your way out of it, uh, step aside from how you're feeling and, and understand that it's just a feeling as opposed to really how you are. And, you know, that's why it's important if somebody is feeling like that, that they do go and talk to somebody, maybe go to a trained counsellor. Cognitive behavioural therapy, which is known as talk therapy, can be absolutely fantastic for treating and supporting many people with low mood and depression. But I I would generally say the first port of call should be your own family doctor or GP who's likely to know you and he or she can, can signpost what the best treatment options for you may be after that. I think it's really important to say, Maria, that we're all unique. Your fingerprint is unique to you. So we are all different and there is no one size fits all. And, you know, if you look at the brain, the brain is amazing. You know, the brain we don't think about too much because we can't see it. I mean, you can see your hand, you Mm. can see your legs, but you don't see your brain. And And I couldn't see my hand if it wasn't for my brain. (laughs) Exactly. The brain's about, you know, th- three, three and a half pounds of tofu-like tissue. Uh, it's very soft like jelly. It's it's encased in, in the skull, which in itself is quite thin. So it's very, very fragile. And it's got about 100,000 kilometres of circuits with over 100 billion neurons or nerve cells. Each of those nerve cells has thousands of interconnections. Each nerve cell is pulsing maybe five to 50 times a second. So there's hundreds of trillions of microprocessors in your brain. So it's an incredible constellation. I mean, I remember reading that and I have this in, in my in my new book, The Vitality Mark, that in the logical thinking part of your brain alone, which is at the front of your brain, the amount of connections there is the same as 1500 Milky Ways in terms of galaxies. So it's phenomenal, mm. the capacity of our brain, how this brain is made. And of course, the reality is we know so little about it. We know so little about how the brain works. Mm. And we're learning more and more all the time, but it really is so fragile and deserves to be taken good care of. The antidepressants have been in in the news this week um, and a lot of people that would be how they're treated. They would just be prescribed antidepressants. But there are other things that people can do, like it doesn't have to be just a medical prescription thing. Yeah, it's not it's not the pill for every ill. And sometimes the best pill is no pill at all. And sometimes medication can be literally life saving for people with more severe depression. So it's really important to say that. And, you know, antidepressants have been around for a long time. For many people, they work very well. For some people, they don't work at all. Um, So that's why having a relationship with your doctor and figuring out what's going to work best for you 
is really, really important. I think, as I said already, talking treatment can be absolutely invaluable. A lot of people with low mood, they get stuck inside their own head in terms of their thinking patterns, which can become more dark and more pessimistic. And as you said, Maria, people can tend to overgeneralize and catastrophize and get stuck in this wheel of, of negative thinking patterns. And talking treatment can literally be a circuit breaker on that and can really enable you to see things differently. It's like holding your thoughts and beliefs mm. up to the light and realizing, hey, there's different ways of looking at this. And that can be very liberating for people. And I suppose that's helpful because, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think antidepressants, they, they need a few weeks or a few months to kind of kick in. Is that right? They generally do. Yeah, I mean, the they, they research suggests that they work generally for about 60 percent of people with with depression. They seem to have a 20 percent differential benefit compared to say t- taking mm. taking just taking a placebo or whatever but they do take generally four to six weeks to kick in the first one you take may not work of course there is no pill really that doesn't have potential side effects so it's always a and risk balance mm. whereas the talking treatment can, can, can work quite quickly mm. and a, a good therapist can get you to do reflective exercises there can be tremendous benefit in writing things down. I talk about it in my podcast in the doctor's chair, emotional journaling, how writing all your thoughts down for two or three days in a row it can really be like a brain dump on paper. And that can be so cathartic in terms of freeing you from this negative cycle of, of, of thoughts. The other thing that's really interesting, Maria, is how beneficial exercise and movement can be for our mental health. I mean, Hippocrates put it so well all those years ago. He said, you know, if you're in a bad mood, go for a walk. And if you're still in a bad mood, go for another walk. <laughs> and um, I was a really smart guy and that was, was so true. But, you know, as little as 10 minutes of movement can change your emotional state. Mm. And it's really, really interesting. You can bring on um, not just serotonin, but oxytocin and dopamine and noradrenaline and this interesting uh, chemical called GABA, which acts like a break on the brain, breaking you free from that fight or flight stress state and making you feel more relaxed. Uh, brain drive neurotrophic factor, which allows you to kind of grow new brain connections and, and many others. And the net result of that combination of sort of chemical change in the brain when you exercise and move is that you can feel less stressed, feel less anxious, feel more positive, feel more motivated, feel more creative and boost resilience. And you know, there was a brilliant study done in Duke University a number of years ago called the SMILE study. And they got hundreds of people and put them into two groups. First group got antidepressant medication. They all had low mood. Mm. First group got antidepressant medication. Second group got exercise. Now, by exercise, I mean they got um, half an hour of what's called moderately intense exercise three times a week. So they had to exercise for about 30 minutes three times a week at a rate where they could talk but not sing. So they were pushing themselves slightly but not out, out of whack as it yeah. were. And they checked in on them after several months. Both groups did equally well. In other words, the, the exercise worked as well as the medication. But here's the thing. They looked at them again 12 months later and they found that, you know, about a third of the people that had been on the medication had relapsed back 
whereas only about 8% of people who continued to exercise had relapsed. So it seems that exercise specifically has a protective benefit on the brain. And it's those little wins as well, isn't it? Like you mm. might wake up in the morning and think, I just, I can't, I can't go to work. I can't face doing anything. But you can walk, go out. And if I was able to do that today, then, you know, maybe tomorrow I'll be able to go for a longer walk. It's those little victories and little challenges that you can set yourself that will just get you on that road. Mm. Change isn't easy and change is oversold the world over by gurus who proclaim to have the answers to everything. And I'm certainly would never proclaim to be one of those. But change is possible. And the only person you can ever change is yourself. Change starts on the inside. And as you said, Maria, so well, it's about the small things, the small little 1% wins. And it's all about starting. And as I say, never stop starting, never stop growing and never stop committing to take good care of yourself and those people that matter. Because, you know, I've been a doctor now for a long time. Health is, it's priceless. It really is such Mm. a priceless gift It's one of those things, you know, we can all take it for granted when we feel well and to feel well in yourself is everything. So everything we can do to, you know, get the conversation out there, to encourage people to support each other, to build a healthier community. Isn't that great? And it really is wonderful to see so many great things happening in Waterford now. You know, the marathon's been Mm -hmm. going for years, the run for life in October for Solus, the Greenway. So so many other things. Mm -hmm. So it is building that environment where the default option is is well-being. Dr. Mark Rowe, pleasure to talk to you as always. Thanks, Maria. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.